What do you dream about? A lot of the time is me saving her from whatever. It's like I've missed my opportunity in life, but in my dreams, I'm sort of still able to rescue her. Hello, friends and enemies. My name is Courtney. And my name is Megan. And this is Cults, Killers, and Thrillers. a Courtney episode and as part of starting with a Courtney episode I just want to apologize for my Ted Bundy part two podcast where I mispronounced Kai Omega um it is not chai omega like a chai latte it is actually Kai Omega I'm a quarter Greek but I don't know Greek besides kaka which means poo Um, oh my god (laughs) and I'm very Australian so I don't know sororities (laughs) I apologize so my favorite sorority is the (laughs) chai tea sorority I'd be a part of that one (laughs) that's not the chai chai tea sisters yeah (laughs) you mean the um chai sorority (laughs) oh my god it's perfect Right, yeah. we're pitching it, guys. Okay, yeah. So, um, I apologize. Anytime I mention Kai Omega in the future, I will do so correctly because I'm an idiot. Okay, cool. Well, hopefully now, you don't have to be pronouncing that anymore in the future. I don't want them to have any more murders. <laughs> so, um, I am uh, for this case. We are covering an Australian case. Actually, mm-hmm. this was a major case down here in Australia in the eighties. Um, it's one of those cases that actually like shocked the whole nation. It's one of those ones that are so horrendous and unimag- unimaginable that it makes no sense that this actually happened in real life because yeah. it's so deranged. Anita Cobby was a shining star in the world and unfortunately was gone far too soon. I did watch the documentary that I've seen on TV a few years ago. Again, Anita Cobby, you thought you knew it all. It's on YouTube. Um, it's heartbreaking. It's A lot of it is shown in a perspective of Anita's husband, John Cobby. And yeah, so it's a lot. Heartstrings were pulled. I was like tearing up. I got told up. to have tissues on hand for this episode. So keep a word of, of advice you might need tissues for this one but i have tissues near me <laughs> it's literally so heartbreaking like i was tearing up watching this and like check out the documentary yourself after this if you want because i was so upset um but yeah and i want to add a huge trigger warning to this whole episode because it's gruesome it's detailed it's mm-hmm. explicit so if that's not your thing you're welcome to tune in next week um if a lot of you who know it will know what i'm talking about for you's who don't know what this case is, have never heard of it all at all. Um, it's a lot. Yeah. So I just want to put that out there. So we're going to start with the beginning of Anita's life. <laughs> so Anita Lorraine Cobby was born on the 2nd of November in 1959. She was a Scorpio. Not that she's going on a serial killer list, but... <laughs> She was a Scorpio, for those wondering. (laughs) She was born in Sydney, New South Wales, to Gary Bernard Lynch, a graphic artist with the Royal Australian Air Force, and Grace Peggy Lynch, a.k.a. Peggy, who was a nurse 
and Anita also had a younger sister named Catherine. When Anita was a teenager, she participated in beauty pageants. And in November of 1979, she had won the Miss Western Suburbs pageant. She was literally stunning. She like, was. She, she, oh my God. Wow, I was looking at photos of her and I was like, oh my, wow, Angel. She actually did have a promising career ahead of her as a model. But Anita went down another path. She loved the idea of helping people. It was in her nature and she was said to be caring, kind-natured and just loved to know what she could do to help someone. And so she became a nurse, just like her mother. Aww. Her parents described her to be beautiful in body and spirit. Oh, bless. So that's, sweet. that's so sweet. Oh my God, I can't cry now. We're like <laughs> two seconds in. It's so much. So Anita began her nursing training in 1979 and met her husband, John Covey, at Sydney Hospital in 1980, when both of them were studying to be nurses. He was three years her nursing senior, and John was immediately smitten with her. Oh. So cute. <laughs> John stated that he thought she was beautiful and way out of his league. One day, they had bumped into each other in the halls, and Anita immediately struck up a conversation with him. And by this, John was surprised and figured from there that he may have a chance. Oh, bless. <laughs> right? They are so pure. I love them. Anita was also interested in him, and they went on to have their first day in a Lebanese restaurant called The Prophet in, Su in Surrey Hills. And that was the restaurant where they would become regulars. After oh. the first date, no one could separate them, which is so cute. Oh, I love them. <laughs> Me too. This is going to get so sad. I can tell already. <laughs> I'm already starting. Oh, my God. I love that they're so pure. And from then, it was just them together from then on. From that first date, they were, like, inseparable. <laughs> they really just connected, and she was so easy to talk to. Anita was absolutely smitten with him. Her sister Catherine described it as her radiating happiness and that she, they had a very young, passionate love. Oh, this is so oh cute. God. I know. This is goals, right? Like, I want this. Right? Me too. BRB signing up to nursing school. <laughs> yeah, right. Time to become a nurse. <laughs> So they had moved in together within six months and John's sister, Gay Norts, had become one of Anita's closest friends. She had absolutely loved music. She listened to The Police, The Eurythmics, Simply Red and Sade. Oh my God, throw back to Sade. Right? Oh Queen God. had taste. <laughs> In 1981, John realised that he couldn't be without Anita and he wanted to be with her forever and he proposed. <laughs> so cute. I love him. <laughs> Me too. To him, it Can just Can we just end the like... episode here? I don't want any more. <laughs> this is enough. Thank you. This, we love a happy ending on the yeah. episode, on the podcast. <laughs> this is all, guys. Bye. <laughs> so uh, when he proposed, it just felt right to him. The ring that he chose was a pink gold slash white gold and yellow gold, all stacked and intertwined ring. It was so gorgeous, and he stated that it looked beautiful on her hand. Oh. <laughs> They're so pure. Their love, love is everything I want. Oh my god. They were even due to have a baby. 
But unfortunately, Anita had miscarried oh. and everyone thought they would get pregnant again and finally have a baby to start their family. Oh. It's going to spoil. Unfortunately, that never happens. Oh my God, I don't want to hear anymore. <laughs> so on a lovely sunny day, the two got married on March the 27th in 1982. Anita got married in a stunning off-the-shoulder white dress and she looks so beautiful. On the day, John saw her as the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh my god. <laughs> I love them. And the two were smiling the entire day of their wedding. Just happiness. I'm cry. <laughs> So after getting married, they moved up north to live in Coffs Harbour. And that's actually like three hours north of me. And Coffs Harbour is stunning. It's home of the Big Banana. Um, Shout out so- to the Big Banana. <laughs> <laughs> Love that place. They also both continued their nursing careers. And John got into training horses. They then had a big win on the horses. So they decided to travel the world together. Oh, my God. Anita had loved Rome and told John it was the most romantic city in the world. So I love that they got to go to Rome and just for them. live their life, oh, live their happy the life. Right? After returning from their trip in 1985, they moved back to Sydney in Rockdale and John was ready more than ever to start a family. But Anita was quite restless. She felt that she needed to do something different. They decided to take a break in their relationship. So... No! I know. Love is dead! (laughs) Done! Anita cancelled their lease and they left their rented apartment in Rockdale and moved back to their family's homes. John had felt it was more of a hiccup than a separation. But good news... So positive. John, bless you. (laughs) I love him. But it's good news. The break was short and only lasted about six weeks. So... It's six weeks too long in my book. (laughs) No time apart. A week before the tragic night, both John and Anita spent the weekend together on the central coast. To them, it felt like a honeymoon and had an amazing time. Anita told John that she loved him many, many times and he also told her that he loves her a lot too. On Saturday, the 1st of February, they had told their families and friends that that on coming Monday, they had plans to go house hunting to start their new life together again. This was the same weekend that Anita went missing. The no. next day. On the Sunday. Oh, yeah. I hate it here. I know. I don't want to hear the... anymore. <laughs> they were literally going to plan start the new life on that Monday. Oh, no. And the day before is when. Oh, my God. I hate it here. Okay. So um, let's introduce the juice bags. Let's just... There were five men involved Ugh. with the abduction. So, unfortunately, most of these douches, I couldn't find their birthdays besides one. But also, unfortunate for Megan's star chart she's making up. <laughs> anyway, they are not that important. So, you know. They, they don't even deserve to have their star sign in my book. <laughs> We have one, though. So John Travis was born on the 27th of February, 1967. He was a Pisces, and he was just 18 years old. He grew up in poverty Blacktown. He was one of he was the oldest of eight siblings to teenage parents. He was a big drinker and also on drugs. By 13, he was using marijuana. By 14, he was an alcoholic. 
In year 10, he was expelled as he was disruptive to other students and relied mostly on unemployment benefits. Come on, Centrelink. His own mother had convicted him to Boys Town Juvenile Detention Facility as she couldn't handle it. So she went, see ya. He wasn't close with his dad and his dad actually had sexually assaulted him. His dad left in 1981 he had a known reputation for violence and theft he had a history with violent sexual behavior and also bestiality okay yeah what he was wanted for the rape of a young girl on january the 8th of the same year 1986 and to top it off he had been witness taking an alive sheep at a barbecue slit its throat as he sodomized it before roasting it on a spit so yeah bestiality what? Yeah. He was doing that while doing that. No. Ew. No. Yeah, so. But no, um, that, 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 no. He's a weirdo. He's weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen him without this stupid hat? No. <laughs> Have you ever seen him without this stupid sheep? Oh I don't God. think so. That's weird. Disgusting. He's gross. Anyways, that's John. So there's many Johns in this case, by the way. So that's just John Travis. Michael Murdoch was also 18. He was known to the Murphys and was friends with Travis. He grew up in poverty. He also spent a fair time in juvie as a child, where there he experienced sexual assaults during this time, and he had wrote to politicians asking for protection from the assaults. Oh, God. I don't know what the politicians are going to do, but um, he (laughs) was going for whoever was prime minister, I guess, at the time. I don't know our history that well. <laughs> and then there were the Murphy brothers. So Mur- Michael Murphy was aged 33, was the leader of the pack and the oldest of nine siblings. He was sent to live with his grandmother at the age of 12. Two other siblings were also involved with the incident. 28-year-old Gary Murphy, he had a hearing impairment which affected his schoolwork, so he dropped out to go work before the crimes. Gary was a willing and able worker. It was his interest in cars that led him to facing several car theft charges. He also had a violent temper. And 22-year-old Leslie Murphy, who was the youngest of the lot, and had faced a children's court many times due to theft-related charges. Reverend Fred Nile had an outreach centre in the early 80s, and the three brothers were regulars. The aim was oh, to God. try and turn troubled youths away from crime. Well, clearly it worked. <laughs> Good job work. there. Now things are going to get heavy. I don't want things to we're get heavy. We're <laughs> returning back to Anita. Oh, no. On Sunday the 2nd of February, Anita was 26. My age. Um, She had worked a a 7am to 3pm shift at the Sydney Hospital. After work, she had waited for two co-workers before going to a Surrey Hills restaurant called The Red Fern. After this, her friends drove her to Central Station at 9pm so she could catch the train to Blacktown Station. Usually when Anita would arrive to Blacktown, she would ring her father who would come to pick her up. Though on this night, the phones weren't seen to be working, nor were there any taxis available to pick her up during a time at the taxi rank so anita had decided to walk home as it wasn't too far from the station which i really wish you didn't i know (sighs) no okay okay mood yeah and yep you ready Mm -hmm. okay go so anita was walking along newtown road around 10 p.m when a group of five men pulled up alongside her driving a stolen ht holden kingswood Two men jumped out and tried stealing her purse as they needed money for petrol. 
Like, really? Anita fought with everything that she had as she was kicking and screaming, so they were told by one of the other guys to force her into the car. She was dragged into the car. In Blacktown, a few occupants in the houses between Blacktown Station and Anita's parents' house had heard her screaming at around 9.50pm on that Sunday night. One person named Stephen, who was just 16 at the time, who heard the screaming, believed that she was fighting. Not screaming for help, it was a real scream. Stephen says he rushed outside and he saw a car with its lights off while Anita was still heard to be screaming. He had saw a car pass him and a man, John Travers, seemed to be really high on his seat in the back. He must have been sitting on Anita because he was seen to be sitting, bending forward with his head touching the roof while also staring out at Stephen. So Stephen's neighbor, Dale, pulled up and so he jumped in the passenger seat and Dale reversed out of the driveway straight away and went for it. By the time they got to the first roundabout, the five men in the car with Anita had already reached the top of the hill and they lost them. They looked around for a further 10 to 15 minutes. Stephen's mother had already called the police and by the time they got back to the house, they got there. So one and a half to two hours later, that's when the police got to the house. Jesus Christ. Right. Stephen hadn't heard a thing about it until a couple of days after. I mean, like, good on him for trying. Trying. I know, bless him. 16. Gosh, I'd shoot myself. Right? In the car, the five guys were driving Anita down Reed Road, which is now named Peter Brock Drive. As they were driving, the men forced her to strip down naked while holding a knife to her face. At first, Anita was refusing while begging them to let her go, telling telling them that she was married and that she was also had a period in hopes they would show some mercy to her. Oh, God. Both Michael Murphy and John Travis had punched her repeatedly, breaking her nose and both of her cheekbones, before forcing her to perform fellatio on all five of them. Jesus, I hate them. Like, I hated them before, but, like, actually hearing it again, like, I hate them. They are disgusting. They then pulled up to the service station to purchase some fuel with her own money. Jesus Christ. She remained naked on their backseat. So yeah, they went to the petrol station while she was naked, in the back, broken. So, Anita was then taken to a secluded paddock while being held down in a car and raped repeatedly. Also while being beaten continuously by all five men. Just, She was then dragged out of the car and beaten into the paddock and then dragged again through a barbed wire fence. They then dumped her body and continued having sex with her, still beating her at the same time for what the examiners think was for an hour or even more than that. This is, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Thing, it's, it's gross. Like, that it poor is, thing. It's disgusting. So on the paddock where these awful things had happened to Anita, it was on a paddock that was owned by John Reen. There are many Johns, as I said. <laughs> so he said that the screams had woken him up, though unfortunately um, thought that the screams had come from some teenagers falling around down the road. So he never imagined that there was somebody being tortured and murdered so close to his home. Yeah. Which sucks. Like, imagine if he actually, like, went out. Right. But I guess that's mm. the thing. Like, you don't always think straight away the worst yeah, Possible you're like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Teenagers. I would feel so crap the next day. Oh, my yeah. gosh. 
when Anita didn't return home, her family had thought she was staying with a friend, and her parents hadn't heard from her since the morning before. Anita had spoken to her mum briefly that morning before she left for work and spoke to her dad on the Saturday night, and she had told them that she would be home that Sunday night. So when they hadn't heard that she didn't arrive at work the next day on February the 3rd, they became frantic and needed to know where she was and how to find her. So her father reported her as missing. Call off parents. And all right, good on him. On Tuesday, February the 4th, John Reen, farmer John Reen knew something seemed a little off in the paddock as the cows kept going up to this certain spot in the field. John hopped on his motorbike and had to go check it out. And there he had found Anita's body. He had seen that she had been tortured and that she would be glad she's dead. Oh, Jesus. Could you imagine finding that? Mm, I could not. That would be horrifying. I could Like, not obviously, what happened to her is yeah. just absolutely but disgusting, but also it. having to be the person to find that as well, like, yeah. that would traumatize the hell out of me. Oh, same. Definitely. So Anita was found in the field lying on her stomach with her face down. Her left arm was under her body and her right arm under her head. She was completely naked. There were no clothes to be found and there was not one bit of evidence found in a paddock. Besides her Russian wedding ring, she had still been wearing on her finger. So sad. (laughs) With all of this, John Rain called the police straight away. Good job, John. (laughs) We love John. We like most of the Johns in this case. The good John. The good Johns. There was there were some severe lacerations to the right side of her throat, and her eyes were still open. There were signs showing that Anita had fought hard, showing self-defense wounds. She had grabbed the knife at some stage, not sure if she had reached out to grab the knife or she or if she was hanging onto it as they were sawing it into her throat. It was hard to tell. Anita had scratch marks on her body from being dragged through the barbed wire fence. She was surrounded by a congealed pool of blood. There was absolute agony shown in her eyes. Which is so tragic, the poor thing. I mean, like, and good on her for trying to fight back. Oh, she was fighting the whole time. Like, good on her. She's amazing. The detective had removed Anita's wedding ring, noticing that it looked pretty unique. So with this ring, it could be used to identify the body, which is good. Yeah. Constable Murphy had taken a missing persons report in sent by Anita's father and he had a photograph of Anita on him. The detectives who had been with her body were satisfied with the match so they headed to her parents' house with the ring. Detective Sergeant Kennedy from the Homicide Squad was the one who went to their front door and had told them that the body of a young female had been found not too far away suspecting that it may be their daughter. He then showed them the wedding ring and that he took from her finger to see if they were able to identify it. Her sister Catherine noticed that the ring looked dirty and Detective Kennedy told her that it was actually dried blood, oh. which is horrifying. Like, I've literally got like chills. <laughs> mm. Could you imagine getting that like at your door? No. Oh no. my God. No way. Gary had been taken to Westmead Hospital mortuary 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 how do you say that mortuary i think so. mortuary yeah to westmead hospital mortuary mortuary <laughs> <laughs> gary had been taken to westmead hospital mortuary where he volunteered to identify his daughter's body 
It took him a moment to see past the bruises and the wounds on her face, but confirmed to be her. Anita's family was incredibly devastated, like, as they would yeah, be. Yeah, as you would be, yeah. Her husband, John, got to her parents' house straight away, and he saw sadness. All heads in the houses were down, and nobody was making eye contact with him. John believes that they believe that he was the one to do it. Oh, my God. That's so heartbreaking. Yeah, he cries. <laughs> oh, my God. Could you... Oh. I know. He's like not knowing what he's walking into like and love of his life and think it's him as well yeah it's the husband or he did it you know <sighs> he was taken to the station and had asked constable gary if he was a suspect and he was being the estranged <sighs> husband it was normal to think like that as it made sense 90 percent of murders are committed by family close friends or business contacts Detective Sergeant Kennedy told John that he had to cross off the suspects as part of the procedure. And John had been very straight to the fact that he had not killed his wife. John did say in an interview in 2016's documentary that they didn't even question whether he did it. They just told him, you killed your wife. Oh my God. Imagine that. He recalled being grabbed and pushed up against a wall and also at a point being on the floor. It was the 80s, so things were pretty wild then. Yeah. John had then said, I did it. I did it. Believing that he must have had some involvement in his wife's murder. Wait. I must have done it. You've told me I've done it. So John confessed to something he did not do. He said the fact that he she no he said the fact that she was gone he wouldn't have her anymore was also like yeah I did it kill me too just take me out the back and shoot me in the head there's no use of living anymore oh my god John it's so heartbreaking are you okay Megan Megan is like on the I, brink of like breaking, breaking down d- oh good just wait so, no I don't want more. <laughs> Going in the mall. So John was unable to cope with Anita's death. He took cocaine for the first time just three days after her death in hopes that he would die too. Oh my God. He just wanted to die, but he didn't have the guts to kill himself. He wanted to OD. He didn't want to be without her. He just wanted to be with her. Oh my God. And they really thought that he would do it. Oh my God. I'm crying. Okay, tissues. Tissue count one. (laughs) Anita's... I mean... Not any. Megan's already crying on the podcast episode. <sighs> Six, seven, I don't know. Oh my god. Okay. Okay. I'm good. Go. Okay. Okay, good. Okay. <sighs> Thankfully, he did get off the drugs eventually. Oh, John. On Thursday, the 6th of February, day three of the investigation, the New South Wales state government posted a $50,000 reward for information leading to the capture of the killers. So at this They're- point, they don't think it's John anymore? Oh, I think I mentioned when he's off the case. Okay. I, I, I think he's, yeah, no longer suspected at this point. Okay. He was, like, wiped. Yeah, so he's good. Okay. John safe. Oh, God. <laughs> there were no suspects at this time as John was no longer on the list. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> good. I was like, wait, I wrote it somewhere. Where, where did I write it? We love John. The team was working around 18 to 19 hours a day. Detective Sergeant Kennedy thought to get some impression through to the public was to use the shock factor. Live on the air, they had taken Anita's autopsy and gave it to John Laws, who was the most powerful radio presenter at the time, and he read it loud and clear on the radio. 
Kennedy felt that the public needed to know how bad the situation really was and how Anita had suffered. Mm-hmm. Which, like, go off. That's, like, a power move. Like, yeah, that's, that's, a that's lot. A, Especially for, like, radio, that's a lot. Yeah, like, go off, Australian police. They, they do good sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Things mentioned in the autopsy were numbers of wounds to the neck, died from a severe loss of blood, and her head was also was almost severed off. Years after this, Gary told John Law just how grateful he was for doing it. So her dad was really appreciative. After the public had found this out, they had become so infuriated that in Sydney there were riots full of hate at whoever committed such a crime, waving signs around and shouting. So the public were pissed, as they should be. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Every right to be. Mood. On Sunday the 9th of February, day six of the investigation, the detectives had organised a reenactment of Anita's final train ride home. Constable Deborah Wallace dressed in similar clothing to what Anita had been wearing on the night, with a description given to them by one of her friends that she had dinner with that night. Deborah was wearing bright pink tights, a white singlet top, flats with a black belt around her waist. She had caught the train from Central Station to Blacktown. They also had recorded the footage of this happening and played it on the TV. So hopefully it could rejog anyone's memory yeah. on if they remember seeing Anita on the night and help out with the case. Yeah. So the police were stopping at nothing with, to solve this. Yeah. Which is like awesome. You're going to cry again probably. Oh God. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> the day of Anita's funeral was on February the 10th. It was too much for her sister Catherine to take in. And all of Anita's nursing friends were there and all of John's friends too. It was incredibly overwhelming. She was so incredibly loved, which is amazing. Catherine saw John as very distraught. His own father and friend of his mother's had to carry John out of the church as John was screaming the words, don't take her away from me. Oh, John. (laughs) I'm tearing up so much during this. Oh my God. I love John. John Covey, you're amazing. How dare anybody ever thought this man did anything to harm that woman? I know. (laughs) John, I love you. (laughs) Continue while I cry quietly. (laughs) We're emotional people on this podcast, guys. Just so you know. I'm tearing up a lot. Um, On the same day of the funeral, I team of police did a mass search of the crime scene for four hours no evidence was found covering the whole two square kilometers later on anita's dad gary asked detective sergeant kennedy to take him to the crime scene he wanted to feel a spiritual connection in the last place his daughter had been alive doing this had helped him grieve and afterwards he had stated that he felt so much better oh bless i know Gary saw what he thought was a blood stain and said, I wish this was someone else's daughter, but I couldn't really, could I? Because then they'd be going through what I'm going through. Oh my god. <laughs> like, the pureness. So heartbreaking. So, a green H.J. Holden, H.T. Holden, a Holden, I don't know, sorry, a HD Holden was stolen on January the 29th, just three days before the murder. The number plates had been changed and it had been spray painted grey. On February the 21st, 
18th day of the investigation, the police received a tip-off regarding a stolen Holden. They were led to check out John Travis, Michael Ooh. Murdoch, and the three Murphy brothers, Les, Michael, and Gary. They were known to have a history of violence, so Travis was also known to carry a knife. The police conducted a series of raids in Western Sydney, hoping to find Travis and the stolen car. They had gone to his family home in Doonside and found Leslie Murphy living there with Travis's teenage sister in a caravan out the back. The car had mag wheels and sheepskin seats. The police had identified the car wheels and seat covers as belonging to the stolen car because the car owner had engraved his initials in the wheels rims. Oh my god, smart though. Right? I love that. I need to now engrave my car. Yeah, right. <laughs> Detective Graham Rosetta had asked Les if he had heard about the murder and if he thought Travis had anything to do with the murder. Les stated that he knew about the murder and that Travis didn't have it in him. (laughs) He was also taken to the station. Okay. Hours later, both Michael Murdoch and John Travis were arrested at the home of Travis's uncle in Wentworthville. Detective Rosetta had told Travis they were investigating a theft of a H.T. Holden and the murder of a Blacktown nurse named Anita Cobby. Travis said that they had knocked off a green Holden but have nothing to do with a murder of a nurse. I hate that. Go away. Beep you. Detective Rosetta searched the house and found a sheath knife under a mattress belonging to Travis. The knife was seen to have blood on it. Back at the station, they showed it to John and his response was, I didn't cut the slut's throat. Oh my god. He's a piece of shit. You know and things are serious if Courtney's swearing. <laughs> I really swear if I'm really, if I'm really oh angry. God. Who says that? I know. I dislike him so much. I just... Oh. <laughs> uh, Rosetta said, I haven't suggested you did. Can you tell me if that's blood under the knife? Um, Rosetta asked, not her blood, sheep's blood, because I killed a sheep in the backyard at home. Hopefully he wasn't sodomizing the sheep again. Oh, my God. At the station, Travis had been charged with theft. His bail was refused for also being wanted for the rape from earlier that year. Good. Murdoch admitted to Detective Sergeant Kennedy that he stole a green Holden on January the 29th because Travis asked him to, as he had a mate who wanted a car of the exact model. (laughs) Like, okay. (laughs) Steals a car. Right. Cash. (laughs) Murdoch and Les were both charged with stealing the car, but with nothing else. They were granted bail, but were both put under surveillance over the next 24 hours. Good. So on Saturday, February the 22nd, now 19 days into the investigation, Travis had requested to gain contact with a woman to arrange personal items to be brought to him. The woman he wanted to see was his auntie. She is known as Miss X to keep her identity a secret. She was married to his uncle, so she chose to meet up with the police at night. And when they asked why she would give up a relative, she said, no woman should go through what that lady did. Bless her. Go off Miss X. Bless her. Right. I love her. Turn your family in. We stand. Good on you. Me pulling, me pulling the switch. If <laughs> not my, your kid. If my family member ever killed anyone. <laughs> I love that. I am Miss X. <laughs> <laughs> 
The next day, she came to the station to see Travis to have a conversation with him while bringing him the items that he wanted. She was incredibly nervous going in, but when she came out from speaking to him, she collapsed saying, it's him, it's him. He told her that he did it. On February the 24th, 21 days into the investigation, the police had asked her to return, but this time with a wire. So Miss X got taped up and wired with a recorder in her bra and in she went. She had 10 minutes. Here we go. She'd seen our faces and knew our names. So so she's got to go, is what he said. I know. He admitted that after they committed the horrific acts, the guys had a bonfire while drinking beer and also burnt her clothing. Oh my God. Miss X also had questionnaire more. Did you have sex with her? Yeah. Anyone else? All of them. Why'd you have to do that? We were all drunk and she had fucking seen all of us. They had all agreed to do what they did to her. The guys told him to do his bit. And so Travis cut her. Yeah. He even kind of laughed about it when she asked if he had anything done anything like this before. He then named the three Murphy brothers and Michael Murdoch. Miss X was absolutely shattered after this. Yeah, she would be. But that is not all. Oh, God. Miss X was not finished. She tracked down Michael Murdoch and pulled him aside while still recording the footage and told him that she knows what happened and that Travis told her everything. After all this, the police from the Special Weapons and Operations section stayed with Miss X and her family for most of 1986 until death threats she was receiving for doing this died down. Like, who was sending her death threats? Right? Like, Like, how dare you help solve a murder? Right? Oh my gosh. Yeah, they're gangs or whatever. They're people. My god. Disgusting. This required them to move to a motel under witness protection program. And later on, Miss X and her family were given new identities and relocated overseas. It was that bad? Yeah, that bad. Jesus. She's a queen. She did what she had to do and I applaud her for it. Oh my god. Yeah, wild. I hope she's doing okay today. Same. (laughs) Queen, oh my gosh. The hunt was on for both Michael and Gary Murphy. The two were found in a home unit at Glenfield after 10pm. Helicopters were flying overhead spotlighting the police as the police moved on in. Detective Sergeant Kennedy went in first with a shotgun. Michael Murphy was sitting on a lounge with a baby on his lap and Kennedy told him to get down on the floor and then he put his foot on his head with his shotgun in one hand and searched him with the other go off sergeant kennedy gary murphy tried running at the backyard he was so scared that he actually wet his pants oh my god his face was also seen to be scratched up a bit but like who cares um all five men (laughs) i don't care about him all five men were arrested and charged with the murder and police were praised with their quick response in capturing all suspects involved. This happened in 22 days from the date of Anita's murder to the time they were all taken into custody. Oh my God. Go 22 off. days. Go yeah, off on Australia it. <laughs> police. Goodness me. Love that for them. The next day, police took the men to where the scenes of the crimes were and from where they took Anita on Newtown Road, the paddock and also where Anita's body was found and the area that she was dragged through the fence and where they had a bonfire and burnt her clothes, doing this in order to get them to speak and verbally reenact the scenario. All had pleaded guilty or were convicted with murder. Amongst the five, they had over 50 prior convictions, which included armed robbery, assault, drugs, car theft and raped there's more on than that but you know they're trash oh my god 
Oh no, are we going to cry? Probably. Oh no, okay. When John Cobby thought about the loss of his wife, he got both depressed and angry at the same time. Revenge was high on his list. It had been a crippling negative thought and he had lived with that feeling for years. To this day, he would still love to kill them. It would be pure gold, he explains. Oh, <laughs> I love John. I wrote, explains that he would love to heal them. And I'm like, wait, that's kill the kill? It was March in 1987, the time for the trials. Before the proceedings on March the 16th, Travis had changed his plea to guilty. The Sun newspaper had the... T- <laughs> you yeah, don't support the Sun here. No. Had on their front page, Anita murder men guilty, showing Travis blown up. The article referred to Michael Murphy as an unemployed prison escapee with no fixed address. Another article in the same paper detailed Michael Murphy's criminal convictions and a recent escape from Silverwater Correctional Center, serving a 25-year sentence for a string of burglaries and theft. The jury was also discharged due to the potentially prejudice. Yes, that one. I love Pride and Prejudice and I can't say freaking prejudice here. <laughs> That's really embarrassing. Um, yeah, because of, the, you know, the prejudice. Information published about Michael Murphy. Okay, more, another trigger warning. Oh, God. Because we're going to be talking about more trigger warning about injuries. The medical examiner report stated that the body showed bruising on Anita's head, breast, face, shoulders, groin, thighs, and legs consistent with a systematic beating, including a blow of considerable force around her right eye. There were lacerations on her hips, thighs, legs from the barbed wire fence, several cuts to her neck resulting in the severing of her ear and the windpipe and the near decapitation and many cuts to her hands and her fingers. Near severing her ear? Yeah. Near severing three of her fingers from when she was trying to protect herself from the knife. After Travis cut her throat, Anita would have been dead within two minutes. She poor thing went through oh way too much. Yeah. <sighs> Nearly decapitated. Like, that's disgusting. On June the 10th, 1987, all five were found guilty of sexual assault and murder. Good. Right? Sucked in. On June 16th, each was sentenced to the Supreme Court of New South Wales to life imprisonment, plus additional time without the possibility of parole. Good. Justine Allen Maxwell described the crime as one of the most horrific, horrifying physical and sexual assaults. This was a calculated killing done in cold blood. The executive should grant the same degree of mercy they pursued on their victim. He also described the killers as being worse than animals. Wild animals are given to pack assaults and killings. However, they do so for the purposes of survival, not so these prisoners. They assault in a pack for the purpose of satisfying their lust and killed for the purpose of avoiding identification. Weak. Anita's father, Gary, felt the result was absolutely just in this, and his Mm -hmm. and his family's mind. Yep. I know. Courtney's pulling a face, that means I'm going to cry. <laughs> oh no. So there's a plaque for Anita at the Sydney Hospital where John oh. Cobby goes to sit in one of the pews in a hospital's oh. travel. And he still talks to her to this day. Sometimes he will sit there and cry because he misses her so much. 
I tell her. <laughs> Megan's gone. I tell her how much I love her, and I'm sorry that I let her down. He also tells her that he still loves her over 30 years later. <laughs> Megan's out, guys. No, John asks her things and for advice about his day, his relationships, and also his kids. He feels. Are you okay? Oh my god. He feels that her answers come to him in dreams. Oh, this is heartbreaking. A lot of his dreams involves him saving her from whatever because he's missed his chance to do so in reality. So in his dreams, he's able to rescue her. Oh, John. I love him so much. He, oh my gosh. He didn't follow the trials. He had only found out the identity of the killers in 2018. He just didn't want to know. He still to this day doesn't know the details of what that happened to her. He just doesn't know what happens. He It would probably destroy him if he knew what she went through. He feels sick when he thinks of them and he strongly supports the death penalty as they as if they become free, he's concerned for his family and well, everyone. If he had the chance, he would kill them all without hesitation. We pay every single day for these bastards to be alive, fed, clothed, and housed. That's what he said. Oh my god. He copes with surfing on the beach a lot. As he oh. does this, he thinks of Anita, wishing that she was on the beach watching him like she always used to do. Oh my god. <laughs> Megan's not okay. We've got our first crying on the podcast, guys. <laughs> I think I broke Megan. Oh my god, this is horrible. I know. Okay, continue. Okay. John had eventually remarried, but it didn't last. He has two children and he is still in nursing. After the death of Anita, he changed his name to John Francis for 30 whole years, but now is back to John Cobby in 2016. And his son, Daniel, changed his surname from Francis to Cobby, too. He is John's best friend. <laughs> Be nice to John. It's what he deserves. It's so heartbreaking. It's so sad. He couldn't even deal with his own last name because he rushed him. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have such tears in my eyes and you're, like, sobbing. I'm just, like... I love uh, him. I love John so much. Oh, I apologise for it. No, <laughs> it's understandable. Just, and he just sobs that it being her. <laughs> and Anita's sister Catherine also speaks to Anita in her mind. It makes her feel stronger. Oh my god, bless them. <laughs> I love them. You're going to be happy now. On February the 21st, 2019, Michael Murphy had been in Long Bay jail and died of terminal cancer, age 66. Good. He had been in and out of hospital before dying. Before he passed, he was asked if he would apologise to Anita's family. Why would I fucking apologise to oh anyone God. while you bitches leave me in this fucking hospital and treat me like this? Like, fuck off, you freaking wanker. Piece of absolute piss shit. off. I... Oh my gosh. He's so infuriating, stupid bitch. What a oh piece my gosh. of shit. 
Anyway, I hope I he's hope suffering. He died painfully, yep. <laughs> I hope he's suffering every moment of his friggin' life. In mid-June of 2019, Gary Murphy had been transferred from Goulburn Correctional Centre to Long Bay Jail. And on the 25th of June, the 61-year-old had been bashed by six inmates in the showers. He was taken... Right? Suck shit. He was taken to Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney as he had severe head injuries with head and spatial wounds. Oh yeah, also in a hospital during the same time due to being treated for a chest infection was John Cobby himself. Oh my god. John hadn't known that they were in the same place at the same time. He said that he was lucky that he didn't know of Gary's whereabouts. Where, as John had worked in that same hospital for over a decade and knew where everything is located. Could you imagine if he knew? I know. Oh my gosh. He wouldn't have been able to help himself if he saw Gary was close. I have dreamt for years and still do about killing them. It never goes away. Oh my god. John said that he wanted to thank the inmates who assaulted Gary. I like to. <laughs> I love John so much. I'd I'd like to know who they are so I can buy them a bottle of champagne. I'm not one to celebrate people getting hurt, but in this case, I hope they broke a lot of bones. Oh my God, John! I love you John Cobb. <laughs> he also had celebrated when Michael Murphy had died earlier that year. I hope it was painful for him. One down, four to go. Oh my God. I love him so much. Oh, John. The now four beeping idiots are spending their days separately. John Travis is now in Wellington Correctional Centre in maximum security. Gary Murphy was transferred back to Goulburn Correctional Centre after the bashing in Long Bay. Les Murphy is also living his days at Goulburn Correctional Centre. And Michael Murdoch is in Lithgow Correctional Centre in maximum security. So, well, I hope they're rotting. They're hating their life every day. In 1993, Gary and Peggy Lynch joined forces with Christine and Peter Simpson, the parents of murder victim Ebony Simpson. Another case that I want to talk about in the future. Um, It happened in a place where I was born, actually, so... Yeah. They collaborated to create the Homicide Victim Support Group, Australia Incorporated, a community support group that helps families with heinous crimes, which I'll have linked in the show notes if you want to check it out or maybe donate to their cause or their charity. I love them. The Lynches also campaigned in seeking tougher sentencing laws, which eventuated after the murder of Anita. Gary passed at 90 years old on September 14th, 2008. He had suffered from Alzheimer's disease. Oh. I know. And Peggy passed from lung cancer at 88 in 2013. The two had been married for 54 years at the time of Gary's passing. Oh, bless them. There is now a park in Sullivan Street, Blacktown, named Anita Cobby Reserve in remem- remembrance of Anita. So if you want to go and drop some flowers or chuck a hello, definitely check it out if you want. Oh, bless. On May the 3rd of this year, in 2021, the construction of a world's first trauma centre in Western Sydney has begun, named Grace's Place after Anita's mother, Grace Lynch herself. Oh. I know. It's going to be a retreat for children coping with homicide cases. There will be counselling and ongoing care to help them get through the tough times. It is being built in Doonside, not far away from where Anita's copy was found all those years ago. Oh, It's really sweet. That's so sweet. I love it so much. 
So it's going to help the young ones who have unfortunately been dealt with such tragic events in their life, just to help them gain trust again and to help them get through it with extra support. The centre isn't just for kids, it's also for family members related to the victims who are unable to cope as well. Grace's place is set to open next year, 36 years after the tragic loss of Anita. And that's the tragic, heartbreaking story of Anita Cobby. That was so much, but honestly, that was such a nice outcome. I know. With everything, and it sucks that all of that had to, like, for that to become a thing. Like, it had to have such terrible tragedy for it. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. (laughs) It's so much. Like, bless John Cobby. He seems so kind. I I was watching a the um, documentary and I was like tearing up. I was like I mean my eyes are full of tears I'm like, not sobbing, I'm not on Megan's level but <laughs> my I face is like so feelings. red from crying like you guys can't see because obviously oh it's audio God. but like you can see my eyes, they're yeah. like so red <laughs> they're so red yeah. oh. so um, Megan's destroyed yeah. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay if you lasted this long. It's a lot. It's so heartbreaking. It is. It's, it's, yep. Jesus. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm like, just... I knew I knew basics about this. I knew yeah. what happened. Um, I feel like, I don't know, if you're Australian at least, like, yeah, I feel you like know. everybody kind of knows of this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I knew, you know, of it. I knew what happened, but I didn't know, like, all those, like, extra details about, like, John especially and, like, oh, yeah, I know. the centre with her, like, mother and stuff like that, but, yeah, God. It's so good. I love that they're doing the centre and everything. Like, it's so much. Like, my mum was catching trains at times as well in the 80s, so, like, she was, like, working in the city and in and out of Sydney and, like, catching them trains, so it's, like, so yeah. scary that, like, that stuff was happening. Like, the fact that like that stuff happened, like and like the yeah. stuff like this still happens to this yeah. day. Like I, I personally still don't like catching public transport because of things like this, and it sucks mm. that people have to be scared to you know walk home or to get on a train or something. Oh for sure, whatever I was like. Happen. I used to get off the train at Campbelltown in 2014. I'd have my keys in my hand, like yeah. I got over my knuckles. Like that's all I got. And for no like, reason oh at all. Gosh. Not that there's ever a reason yeah. to justify something like this, but for literally, mm. like, we need petrol, so let's do this yeah, to I know, a let's poor do girl. This. It's disgusting. Just because she saw their faces, like, piss off. Like, <sighs> I, yeah, I used to get off the train at midnight in Campbelltown, so, like, Campbelltown's hella shady as is. So, like, I was, I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Whatever. <sighs> I'll just vibe. So we will be posting the information to the foundation and all that information on our social media. So mm-hmm. if you want to catch us on Twitter, you can do so at Cult Kill Thrill. On our Instagram, at Cult Killers Thrillers. Our TikTok, at Cults Killers Thrillers. And at our YouTube, which is Cults Killers and Thrillers Podcast. So yeah, we'll have have some information linked about mm. yeah the, information the pictures um yeah see how beautiful anita and john are because they yeah. were so cute together it breaks my heart oh my god no that's so sad hearing everything about them as well and like again like i said i knew about it but like i didn't know their backstory and it's just mm. so sweet that's so, so heartbreaking sweet. like that's so like the tiktok made me cry so much if we had five more minutes and like it was them and i was oh, like was sobbing oh that's so sad 
I was sobbing when I saw that TikTok. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, thank you so much, guys, for listening and Sorry, surviving so and sad. feeling feeling the feels with us. Next week will be more brutal. Like, well, not more brutal, but also like less sad. <laughs> the tissue count for this episode was four. Whatever Megan um has <laughs> planned for us. Yeah. Whenever there's a sad one, we'll do a tissue count. Oh my gosh, done. But yeah, thank oh. you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it so much. And yeah, we'll see you. On, um, we'll catch up next week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was so awkward. That's why I'm vegan. Yeah, okay. but we'll see you. See you next episode. Okay. okay. Yeah, next week. Next Monday. Okay. Bye. Bye.